Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's Tuesday, May 31st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. New census figures are showing that big cities have been in a decline. The largest cities lost a greater share of people than small and mid-sized ones. New York, San Jose, and Chicago saw the greatest numbers of people leaving, while Texas and Arizona had seven of the 10 fastest growing cities. All of these migrations were accelerated by the pandemic and work from home capabilities. Paul Overberg, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why people are leaving. Next, the market for NFTs has always been a volatile one. But lately, investors have been questioning if some of these purchases have been worth it. In 2021, the NFT market blew up with people spending about $40 billion. And now that some of the hype has died down, investors are looking at values that are only worth a fraction of what they initially paid. There are still some that are holding their value, and the art world is also banking on an NFT future. Pranshu Verma, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for what to know. Finally, we'll tell you how Pornhub changed the world. It wasn't the first tube site, but 15 years after it launched, it still remains on top. The site became a good partner for studios and creators, as it was a big promotional tool for them. It changed how people could enter and work in the industry, and also influenced the content itself. Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. They find that they can sort of cash out of owning a home for 10 or 20 years and move to a less congested, slower-paced place with a lot less expense. Joining us now is Paul Overberg, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about some of the demographic changes that we saw in big cities throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we started seeing this migration out of big cities, especially once work from home and the remote work thing really started getting in, into, uh, into action. But that trend ended up continuing. We saw a lot of big cities, especially on the coast too, people moving inland to cheaper, bigger homes, things like that. But it seemed to have been a trend that continued throughout the pandemic. So Paul, tell us what we're seeing there. Well, the Census Bureau has just released um, new population estimates for cities for the year that ended last July 1st, so effectively the first year of the pandemic. And 
These estimates show that, that yes, indeed, that trend has continued. The biggest cities have uh, had uh, major losses of 2-3% of their populations from the mid-2020. And uh, even smaller, mid, mid-sized cities, half a million to a million, a lot of those, even ones that have been growing in the years before that, saw small losses or basically flat growth. And so where did we see the biggest losses, any cities in particular that, that saw the, uh, the biggest migrations out? New York and San Francisco sort of stood out. New York lost 3.5% of its residents in a year. That's about a third of a million people. San Francisco lost more than 6%, which is not as many people because San Francisco is smaller. But you can see smaller losses all around the Bay Area in the cities around that area, including areas that have been growing. So it's not just the core cities themselves. You can see the same sort of pattern in cities like Los Angeles and Chicago and even on down the line, if you go to places like um, Nashville or Seattle and Atlanta and Denver, places that were growing up until the last couple of years. And it's not just the pandemic. Uh, there were some signs of this starting even in before the pandemic, a combination of other demographic factors. Part of it is peak numbers of baby boomers are now reaching retirement age, and uh, they find that they can sort of cash out of owning a home for 10 or 20 years and move to a less congested, slower-paced place with a lot less expense. Yeah, at the same time, and, the, and same thing, the millennials, right? Millennials, exactly, right? In uh, getting time for the families and looking for that bigger space for those growing parts of it, they were also a big part of uh, people moving mm-hmm. out. Right. Millennials, uh, the oldest millennials are now reaching their mid-30s, and they didn't marry and have children at the same pace that earlier generations did. But now, because there's so many of them, they're having an impact on the things like the housing market, especially the housing housing market for places where you'd raise a family with more space and uh, good school districts and things like that. So that's a piece of this movement that was already starting, and the pandemic has just sort of accelerated it. Now, more people are participating in this move for those reasons, but also because they want enough space to be able to work from home if that's an option with their employer. And where are a lot of these people going to? Texas and Arizona had seven of the top 10 fastest growing cities with 50,000 people or more uh, between 2020 and 2021. So Texas and and Arizona are getting a big chunk of those people. Florida and Tennessee also in these top 10 cities. Right. You can see a lot of the cities that are growing fast. Obviously, they're at the small end of that range, that 50,000 that the Census Bureau uses to kind of sort of set a floor on this. Places that are out in sort of what you might think of as exurban locations around, uh, say, these major areas. So a fair number of uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, which is, uh, you know, well outside Nashville, and Buckeye, Arizona, which is well outside Phoenix, and several other places around Phoenix on the outskirts and the edges of it, like places that are now actually fair-sized cities you may not have heard of, like places like Goodyear and Buckeye. (laughs) Right, yeah. And so you spoke to a lot of people that made these moves, that made these moves to different uh, states and cities completely. And for the most part, they're very happy with the changes. Their their houses are bigger now. Their mortgages, are, are uh, they feel, might be a little more appropriate because of interest rates and stuff like that. So a lot of them very happy with the moves. Right. My colleague, Janet Adamy, spoke with a couple of folks, one family that moved from uh, Portland, Oregon, to a little bitty town on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And was very happy with all the, the changes in their life because they've got more room, 
and they can do, she and her husband can work remotely. So yeah, there's a lot of families that are reaching uh, transition points in their lives and the pandemic sort of nudged some people or pushed some people to sort of make decisions and make moves. Paul Overberg, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. They're just waiting until they can get the right price for it. And that's kind of leading them to wonder, will they ever? And so we're entering a time when this kind of whole market of NFTs is a little bit in flux. And we're a little unsure what the future is going to hold. Joining us now is Pranchu Verma, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Pranchu. Hey, thank you so much. Well, let's talk about NFTs. I kind of love talking about these things. It kind of took the world by storm when they were really getting popular just for the eye-popping prices that they were selling at. You know, I know as the uh, cryptocurrency market has changed, the market for these NFT has changed. You know, there's a lot of schadenfreude on the part of people that didn't really start participating because what we're seeing now is, you know, a lot of scams playing out in the marketplace. A lot of people who bought these NFTs at really hefty sums are finding that they're worth a fraction of the cost now. There's a lot going into it. So, Pranchu, help us walk through what we're seeing with uh, the NFTs right now. I think that's exactly right. So, you know, the NFTs were very hot maybe even last summer and then from 2020 on to 2021. And, you know, the market went from maybe $100 million in sales, you know, maybe in 2020 to up to a few billion, you know, um, and it was just, a little bit on the fact of the cryptocurrency rising and people making money off of that, and they had a little bit more to spend. And so what did they decide to spend? They decided to spend them on NFTs and other things like that. And so you had a really hot market. And then recently we've seen, obviously, the cryptocurrency market crash completely. But even before that, we saw signs that the NFT market was starting to cool and sales were in the beginning of the year dipping, though they did kind of increase a little bit in the last few weeks. But we've seen now that people that paid millions of dollars or thousands of dollars for things are having either a hard time selling them because there's not that much of a market or they're just waiting until they can get the right price for it. And that's kind of leading them to wonder, will they ever? And so we're entering a time when this kind of whole market of NFTs is a little bit in flux and we're a little unsure what the future is going to hold. We heard a lot about Beeple selling his thing for $69 million. I think my favorite one that you put in here as an example there was an NFT of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Somebody bought it last year for $2.9 million. They put it up for auction in April. The bids topped out at $280. That is a really bad return on that investment right there. An awful, awful return. <laughs> and, and now, of course, if you pay $2.9 million for something, you're ne- not necessarily going to offload it for $280, right? So now you're stuck. wondering if this thing will ever hold, you know, ever sell. And sometimes some people say, well, that just means I just have to enjoy what I have. I have to like the image or I have to like the art. But other people then just say, well, is this another fad? Is this another Pokemon? Is this another Beanie Baby? Another Pods? This is just another example of people overpaying a real, a lot of money for something that who knows if there's actual value to it. And what we see right now too is obviously a lot of scams, you know, in the cryptocurrency side, they're called rug pull scams, but we're seeing this here on the NFT side, 
celebrities endorsing things and you know value dropping very quickly because anybody can mint an nft right anybody needs to just start a program and you can go that way but we're seeing the market consolidate around a few companies the board ape yacht club is one of the main ones that's since, right since the very beginning well crypto punks is also a huge one so those are still re- holding their relative value they're not dropping like some of these other ones and the nft market's just kind of circulating around these very very popular ones That's right. It's a little bit of a market consolidation that a lot of people are now seeing. Now, to be fair, Board Ape Yacht Club and another one, CryptoPunks, these are kind of what they call blue chip NFTs, right? They're the creme de la creme. And they've also lost a little bit of their value, but they do have more holding power than some of the other ones that have kind of come up after the Board Apes and after the CryptoPunks because, you know, those are kind of copycats. But now you see it's about the brand that you can create. It's about the people that, you know, associate themselves with your NFT, right? So Board Ape Yacht Club and CryptoPunk, they have celebrity endorsements. They have people talking on late night TV shows, Paris Hilton's touting them, right? People setting them like Kevin Durant setting them as their, as his profile picture, right? And so, so those ones still have some of that cachet that keeps their holding power. But if you look at some of the numbers, which, you know, Chainalysis and a few other intelligence firms have done is they kind of seem to be driving a lot of the growth in recent months versus all of the other kind of copycat ones that have come out after the success of these. And so you're going to start seeing in the future a bit of this consolidation towards the big players and some of the other smaller players kind of going by the wayside. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that are dealing in F- NFTs also see, you know, their fortunes and the value of these things kind of rise and fall with the price of cryptocurrency. That's uh, they're obviously very closely tied together. But overall, it still seems like people that have bought into these, whether by choice or not, right? <laughs> if they're the value is extremely low, they're going to keep holding out. But overall, it seems like people are holding out. They want to keep collecting them and they want to keep holding what they have you know they're in it for the long haul and it's the same thing kind of in the art world in these auction houses they see it as a, a an interesting you know a lower entry uh, of barrier to get into the art world and and they kind of they're sticking with it all yep absolutely right you know christie's and sotheby's you know these elite names that you've associated with very high-end art are really doubling down on NFTs even at the current moment when things seem in flux because they feel like NFTs in the high-end art market have a utility, right? They can make a high-end piece of art a little more accessible to the more you know average user. And you don't have to be this high net worth individual to come in and maybe own a piece of, of a Picasso or something like that. And so this democratizing element is what these you know high-end art houses are really betting on now we'll we'll have to see if that really does play out they see new york london and hong kong kind of as centers of places where they'll continue to have these auctions but there's obviously people that have you know scammed the auction houses as well somebody wanted to put up a really high-end nft and then pulled it out in the minutes before auction so we still have to see you know how the high-end art market is going to deal with some of the bad players as well and how much traction they're going to get from very savvy kind of art investors and will that really translate in the long term into a robust nft market pranchu verma reporter at the washington post thank you very much for joining us hey thank you for having me (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And what independent creators might find is if they're trying to do something different than that, like, you know, an artsy 12-minute video, it might not get the views and thus might not sell as much as these other videos that pop off on Pornhub. Joining us now is Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about an interesting topic, Pornhub, and how it changed the world, or at least the world of porn. You know, it's been around for 15 years, so I guess a mm-hmm. milestone for them. But it really just kind of a, it really emerged in what was called tube sites. And just often, it, you know, a lot of the times it was a pirated content at the beginning, but these things have kind of become the mainstream of the porn world now. And it just has an interesting history, uh, and like I said, the impact and uh, content that this particular site has had. So, Anna, help us walk through some of it. Yes, you're absolutely right. Pornhub is a tube site, which is a website where users upload often pirated content for others to stream. And before 2005, which was when YouTube was founded, that was pretty much impossible. Not only was it very hard for non-tech experts to upload content to the internet, but it was also just the technology wasn't there to stream content. So in terms of porn, people often watched through DVDs or they downloaded videos. But when YouTube started, it wasn't. It didn't take long for the adult industry to start using that technology as well. So tube sites started popping up in 2006 with the RedTube and YouPorn, and then Pornhub came onto the scene in 2007. It was actually founded by the founders of Brazzers, which is a porn studio. So they were sort of using similar content for their own websites. Right. Something comes up like this, right? There was tension in the beginning where content creators, all that, were having a problem with these tube sites. But Pornhub really became a good partner, so to speak, in the business, right? They were giving a lot of people uh, traffic to studios and whatnot. And the partnership is really what propelled Pornhub to be one of the top tier sites. What's fascinating about that is Pornhub's parent company is called MindGeek. And MindGeek purchased Pornhub in 2010. And at the same time, they purchased a slew of 
other tube sites like the predecessors of Pornhub, as well as studios like Digital Playground, Reality King, Sean Cody. So Pornhub is definitely a traffic partner for those studios, but both Pornhub and many of the studios are owned by the same parent company. And so what do we make now of uh, how creators can cash in by using the website right now? Obviously, one of the other big competitors we hear about a lot about right now is OnlyFans. And that's kind of that direct pipeline, uh, so to speak, for content creators and their fans, right? Uh, uh, you can uh, create mm-hmm. the content, put it out there, people subscribe and buy stuff. How did it work for Pornhub, at least on this front? So one of the experts I spoke to said that Pornhub actually laid the groundwork for OnlyFans uh, with products like Model Hub. So Model Hub works similarly in that it allows individual models who aren't attached to a studio to upload and sell content and subscriptions. So now OnlyFans has a very similar model. So Pornhub is sort of thought of to be the inception of this independent creator boom we're seeing. The other part of this, too, that's uh, super interesting, right? We're talking about the impact that a website in this industry has. You know, it's definitely had an impact even on the content that people uh, take in, right? You go through, exactly. you know, you go through like the popular page, right? And you see a, a number of different things. But even when it comes down to uh, the timing, how long a video could be, what uh, things mm-hmm. are shown in the video, it's kind of reflected and impacted content everywhere else on OnlyFans and, and, other, and other sites. On Pornhub, what's really successful is minutes that are a few minutes long, like five to seven minutes, and doesn't involve just one act, but several, and goes one after the other after the other, and shots that are well lit, and you can uh, hear the audio really crisply. And what independent creators might find is if they're trying to do something different than that, like, you know, an artsy 12-minute video, it might not get the views and thus might not sell as much as these other videos that pop off on Pornhub. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting thing, right? We're talking about this because uh, this website now is 15 years old, and uh, it's done a lot for the industry. It's done a lot for itself, obviously, as, as, a, as a company and website. But, you know, just the impacts that it's have are pretty interesting. And one of the people you spoke to said, you know, this has really normalized conversations about the business of porn. There's still a lot of stigma associated with the industry, but this site has uh, almost become synonymous with it, right? It's kind of like when you say Xerox or Kleenex, you know, Pornhub is kind of like the shorthand for talking about the tube sites. And that source said that we talk about Pornhub in a sort of sanitized way that we talk about other tech companies like Amazon and Facebook. We don't really talk about the people behind Pornhub. We just talk about, as you said, Pornhub success and how how huge it is for this industry. Anna Iovine, reporter at Mashable, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.